Titus chapter 1, starting at verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy, trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Church, lovely to see you. My name is Paul. If I haven't met you before, uh, I'll be running that course on Wednesday evening this week called Belonging. So if you're new to, to the Bridge Church, we'd love to invite you along to that. The course starts it's this Wednesday evening at our home uh, from 6:45 onwards. God loves His church. I'll say that again. God loves His church. Amen. So when God's people gather together. As people who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who've believed in Jesus, as God's people gather to, to praise him and to pray and to petition and to encourage each other, God loves that. He loves his church. Now, now we think it's weird sometimes, but, but God says, no, it's wonderful. I love it. Sometimes we cringe at church, but, but God cherishes his church. God, God calls church his his bride, his body, his, his family. God loves his church. And God loves good leadership in his church. Because leadership matters. Uh, leadership can, can make a church or it can break a church. And, and you know that. So when you get good, godly leadership with humility and with gentleness and with selflessness and with kindness and that, that filters down and your church becomes full of integrity and transparency and honesty and, and beauty and God loves that and the opposite is also true when you get ungodly self-centered rash bullying sleazy leadership it damages God's church, and it can destroy people. These are verses from Acts chapter 20, written to leaders. Paul says this, Keep watch over yourselves, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them, so be on your guard. Uh, I love those verses. So this is God's church, not our church. And we are God's people, not any pastor's people. Uh, and the pastors are encouraged to, 
to watch their own life and their own doctrine first, to keep watching over themselves first, because, because shepherding or, or pastoring is not a job. It's an overflow of your heart. It's an overflow of your personal walk with Jesus. And we were warned in those verses about, from within our number, be on your guard because some people can arise who will distort the truth and lead people away and create follow themselves, not Jesus Christ. We might call them celebrity pastors. So leadership really matters. And the personal walk of your pastors, our connect leaders, our kids church leaders, our alpha, anybody with leadership here at the Bridge Church, it really matters. Because we're not talking about a business. And we're not talking about a social club. We're talking about God's church. We're talking about the souls of people that have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. We're talking about God's church. And it flows down from the top. Do you know the, the number one objection why people do not come to church and refuse to come to church and don't believe in Jesus, don't believe in church, is hypocritical leadership. Either they themselves or people they know have been hurt and harmed by so-called pastors of God's church. So let's be honest. Aren't we fed up of the endless failings, the countless crises and the cover-up in God's church? The sexual misconduct, the immorality, the bullying, the abuse, the lording it over people, the lack of accountability, the spiritual manipulation, the lies, the untouchable pastors. Aren't you fed up with that? Aren't you exhausted by the endless stories of high-profile leaders who have fallen and deceived and damaged people? Let me have a pastoral moment. I am fully aware that in this room today are people who are hurting right now because you've been harmed by the failures of your leaders. I'm fully aware that people here who are suspicious and skeptical about any church leader today because of your past experience. And if that is you, I want to say I'm so sorry that you've gone through that. And I'm so glad that you're here and that you've been willing to step back into a church again. People often describe the British Church as a hospital for hurting Christians. And if you can find healing here, that's my prayer. So our message today is on leadership. We're in this little book of Titus. It's just three chapters, but it's so important. Titus was left on this little island of Crete to appoint leaders, to appoint elders. Do you see that, verse 5? The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished, that you might set up or establish, that's the idea there, appointing elders, leaders, overseers in every town, in every church. The word in down in verse 7 is the word overseer. They use interchangeably, elder, overseer. It's, it's our bishop word, not the bishop as we see him today, but pastors, teachers, leaders, anybody who watches over God's flock. And if you want to see healthy, thriving churches today, we need to have sound, godly, Christ-like leaders. So I want you to imagine just for a moment that, that we are advertising for a new pastor here at church. What are you going to look for? 
charisma, competency, dynamic personality, drive, ambition. That's my fear is that we bought into this, this corporate mentality that we look for the person who's the most dynamic, the most visionary, the most organized. Or we treat pastors like CEOs and we talk about you know, strategy and success and resume and results. And our churches are full of those kind of leaders who are so charismatic and so competent and so classy and almost like a celebrity. But it's not what Paul says here. Paul does not specify any qualifications as such. He lists qualities. This passage is almost, almost entirely about moral integrity. Now, of course we have tasks to do. You've got sermons to preach, people to pray for. You've got the, the lost to win. You, you must train. You must organize. But what God is most concerned about is, is our character. And that is the shock in these verses. There is nothing in these verses that is out of the ordinary or exceptional. These are qualities that you'd expect every Christian to have, not just leaders. The point is this, these are are not exceptional qualities, but essential. Because leaders have this responsibility, and, and if the leaders are not behaving like this, then the church members have got no chance. If the people who teach and pastor you are not like this, then very quickly the whole church will follow suit. And I've seen it many times. I think of a church where I stepped into it, and this culture was kind of like, it was angry, it was aggressive, it was negative, and then I met the pastor, and he was this kind of this, this hot-headed bully. No surprise there. A church in the UK where they've had literally 30 years of loose sexual morality. Because they had pastor after pastor after pastor who failed sexually, and it trickled down from the top. See, we, we can't lower the standard of leadership. God's standard is pretty high. Because people's souls are at stake and the reputation of our Savior is at stake. So what do you look for in a leader? Three, three Cs. First of all, Christian. Christian, that, that might sound so obvious, but it needs to be said. We need leaders in God's church whose identity is found in Jesus, not in the job. We need leaders in God's church whose they're so gripped by the grace of Jesus, not full of their own pride. Remember how Paul introduced himself, verse 1? Look at verse 1. Paul does not say, Paul, the, the right reverend doctor, honorable apostle, platform conference speaker, church planter extraordinaire, author, mentor, and YouTube, YouTube celebrity. He says, Paul, a servant of God. That's how he defines himself, a servant of God, a slaver who's been bought at a price. He says, Jesus is my master. I'm serving Jesus alone. And Paul is this this walking, talking work of God's grace. He's bathed in grace. Yes, he's an apostle, verse 1. What what an honor to see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. But, But before he's an apostle, he's a servant. Before he's a sent one, he's a surrendered one. He's not a success story. He's just a servant of Jesus. 
And that's what you need in leadership. People who are so captivated by the Lord Jesus Christ, so gripped by his grace, and their identity is not in themselves, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. You want people, there's no hint of pride, because it's all about Jesus. No hint of arrogance. They're not lording it over people, being inaccessible and making a name for themselves. No hierarchy, no inner circles, no competitiveness, no secrecy. We don't measure success by programs or numbers, but are, are people captivated by, by who Jesus is? Are we gripped by grace? I need to say that right up front. They need to be Christian. What I should look for. Number two, character. Character is way, 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 way more important than competency. You don't want a celebrity, you want a, a person of good character. And you know what we've seen over the last five years? High-profile leaders like a, a Mark Driscoll or a Ravi Zacharias or a Bill Hybels, and it wasn't, wasn't their competency. They were very competent, but it was their character that failed. The abuse, the cover-ups, the lies, the bullying, it was devastating. It is devastating. What does Paul say in verse 6? Uh, an elder must be blameless. Same word is used in verse 7. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. And that word doesn't mean perfect or faultless because otherwise none of us would be elders. But, but blameless, it, it means beyond accusation above reproach, of good reputation, of unquestionable integrity. So, so, so no one within the church has got this dirt on you and points the finger and says, well, he's hypocritical. And no one outside the church thinks badly of you. They might not like your message, but when they look at your, your character, they've got nothing but good to say about you. That's the idea there. You must be blameless. And Paul jumps straight into relationships or, or marriage. So if you are married, and I don't think this excludes single people from being leaders because Paul was single, Titus was probably single, and 1 Corinthians 7 elevates singleness. But if you are married, verse 6, you've got to be faithful to your wife. Literally a, a one-woman man, faithful of unquestionable morality, completely free of accusations of fornication or adultery or inappropriate sexual behavior. You are faithful. And I assume that, that Paul begins with marital, marital faithfulness because that was as big of an issue then as it is today. Now, back then there was adultery. Back then there were flings and secret liaison, and sadly nothing has changed. Listen to these stats. In 1988... So 1980, we're talking 35 years ago. So, so way before all this online porn and dating apps and chat rooms, in 1988, Leadership Journal asked ministers and pastors this question, since you've been in local church ministry, have you ever done anything with someone, not your spouse, that was sexually inappropriate? And a staggering 23% said yes. Almost one in four. And that's just the ones being honest. Not just sexually, what about the emotional affairs, the over-dependent friendships, the flirting. 
And that's why we need, need accountability for our pastors. We need people who will look pastors in the eye regularly and, and ask them the questions about, about their marriages and their faithfulness. I need that. I long for that. It breaks my heart when there's a truckload of people who have been abused and used by pastors sexually. What is to be leading God's church? You need to be faithful to your wife, committed to your marriage, loving your wife well. No flirty texts, no inappropriate hugging. That's the person for leading. And, and that means that you know, if you have been unfaithful, now of course there's forgiveness. Of course there is. Of course, God might choose to use you mightily again, but, but don't go straight back into leadership because people have been damaged by you. Blameless in your family life, verse 6. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. As a parent, I read verse 6, and to be honest, I shudder. It's a huge responsibility, isn't it, to bring up kids, that proper nurture of kids. And the, the argument here is that the leader of God's church oversees two families, his, his biological family and the church family. And if he's not capable of leading his biological family, he shouldn't lead the church family. Now, to clarify the word for children in verse 6 is the word techno. It refers to, to younger children, children who are still at home. So we're not talking about grown-up kids. We're talking about when your children are still at home under your roof, they are not wild and are not disobedient. And also to clarify, the word believe in verse 6 is not the salvation word. It's the, the trustworthy word. So he's not saying that all your kids have to be believers because only God chooses who's going to be his. And we're praying for that, but it may not be the case. But your kids at home need to be faithful, believing, trustworthy, kind, loving kids. Is that hard work? Of course it is. <laughs> And the home is kind of the training ground for church leadership. Can I say, it's, it's easy to, to demand obedience from your kids. That's a piece of cake. It's easy to have obedience with resentments. That's easy. But obedience with, with respect, but when your kids respect you and so they obey you, that's what we're after. So as a father... When I say no to my kids playing sport on Sunday mornings because we as a family go to church, they, they might not like it, but they respect it. As a father of a teenager, when I put the curfew at midnight from that party, like, he might not like it, but he respects it. So, so if you pray for leaders, I hope you do, if you pray, what do you pray for? Please pray for our marriages, for our families that we'd encourage our kids in the Lord, because way too many pastors' kids are disillusioned with God. Pastors' kids disillusioned with God because either dad was never at home and always at church, or perhaps worse, dad was one thing in the pulpit, but a completely different thing at home. So blameless in your marriage and your family life, blameless in your conduct. Let's start to build this picture of verse 7. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, 
not trampling on people, not always getting his own way, not always having have to be right about everything. Have you met those people? They have to be right and they have to get their way and they will use and abuse to get their own way. That is not a leader in God's church. Not quick-tempered, verse 7. So not hot-headed, not short fuse when someone does something that upsets them. They, they don't flare up. No, they're, they're patient. They are gentle. Not given to drunkenness, says Paul. This is one for our culture. Now, the Bible doesn't ban alcohol, but no one should point the finger at a church leader and says, well, that person drinks too much wine. I was challenged recently by someone who's not a believer, and they were talking about the drinking habits of Christians in general. Not just least, but Christians in general. And I'm like, wow, you guys are no different from the world. That was a wake-up. Now, leadership is important. And the problem with alcohol is that it's often alcohol that's the catalyst and the cause for reckless behavior. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness. Next bit, not violent. That includes vocal violence. So I hope you've never been battered by harsh words from a leader or crushed by cruel comments or that attacking email. And certainly not physical violence. There's no place for that anywhere. Not pursuing dishonest gain, verse 7. And he's talking there about money and possessions because it's easy for church leaders to exploit people, to befriend the people at church who can give you what you need or what you want. The the love of money is a very dangerous thing, says Paul in 1 1 Timothy 6. The love of money, it, it drags you away from God and it's so dangerous. And that is true. When the the leaders seek to adopt a lifestyle which is decadent and no different from the world, there's a problem there. And I've noticed that the more money you have, often the less generous you become. (laughs) Isn't that ironic? That's the negative. Pride, temper, drinking, power, money. That's the way of the world. That's not God's leader. Rather, verse 8, here's the positive Verse 8, he must be hospitable. Uh, That's not just having people over for dinner. Hospitality is not about having a dinner party with your friends. That's called a dinner party. Hospitality is when you open your home and open your heart to strangers. When you help anybody in need, where you share your life with people. So in the early church, there was no Airbnb. There was no cheap backpackers. So when anybody came to town... It was the leaders who opened their homes. And I find it really sad when the pastor's home life is so closed off from their church life. And they keep the two so so separate because actually when you step into someone's home, you get a a better understanding of their character. Verse 8, they love what is good. They pursue goodness. They pursue good deeds and good decisions. They ooze the goodness of God. Verse 8, again, they are self-controlled. They, literally, they are, they've learned to control their tongue. They've learned to control their mind. They've learned to control their desires and their body. Uh, next word, they are upright. It's a beautiful word. It, it means decent or dignified. They're pursuing godliness. They're pursuing a good life. When people see it, they think, oh, there's an upright person. 
They are holy, verse 8. They are disciplined. They, they're, they're devout. They're striving to be set apart for God. They are like an athlete putting in the hard yards for holiness. Now, now this is godly leadership. And when you read verses 7 and 8, it's not particularly impressive. It's not your flashy, boastful celebrity. It's not your powerful, money-seeking, immoral person. This is a, a, a man who's faithful in marriage, cares for his kids, orderly in life, hospitable, sober, gentle, and generous. Just a person of integrity. Dwight Eisenhower said the supreme quality of a leader is, is unquestionable integrity. If I'm honest, that's why I say no to almost every outside speaking engagement here. Partly because I love you guys, I just want to be here in Kirribilli just passing my flock. But also partly because I know the danger of pride. I know the danger that comes when you get to speak on platforms all the time. I don't want that. Character matters way more than competency. And again, I don't, I don't know whether you pray for us as leaders. But if you do, that, just that one prayer, please, for our character. Because we're all works in progress. There are things about me that, that God needs to change. And, it, and, and can I say, if you spot things in me as a leader that is ungodly, please feel free to come and tell me and challenge me. I need that. That's part of the problem in leadership. Lack of, in, lack of accountability. Leaders not wanting to listen and learn from other people. So a Christian of good character and lastly of convictions. We don't just want nice people. We need people who uphold the truth. Verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. He, he must have a firm grip on Scripture. It's all about our attitude towards the Bible. This is the truth. This is the message. Anybody can grow a, a crowd put the right music, the right atmosphere. But we're about a church, and a church is built on the truth of the Word of God. And so we need your leaders to hold firmly to God's Word. We need leaders who are persuaded that all Scripture is God-breathed, every chapter, every verse, every word, and we're going to teach the whole of Scripture. We need people who believe that the, the, the sufficiency of Scripture, that everything for life and Godless is here in the Bible. Now, surely you want leaders in this church who are diligent in sitting under the word for themselves. I am a bit concerned by biblical illiteracy in church and leaders. You walk into some pastor's offices, you've got more books on strategy and leadership and management than you have the word of God. The leaders who will love the truth and teach the truth because that's our role, verse 9, to, so they can encourage others by sound doctrine, so they can point people to the truth of God's Word. We can encourage you in the Scriptures. And if you want, that's the only competency bit in this whole passage. The, the one thing we need to be good at is handling God's Word so we can encourage you. You ever had those school teachers? They're often chemistry or mathematics. And they were brilliant. They knew their stuff. They had a head full of information. They knew, they had PhDs on chemistry and math, but they just couldn't teach. And they made everything completely incomprehensible. Now, you get that in church sometimes. 
pastors who've got PhDs in theologies, and they know their stuff. They love God, but they just can't teach. They make the most simple things complex rather than making the most complex things simple. You need people who are able to teach the Word of God, to encourage you with sound doctrine, and, verse 9, to to refute, to correct those who oppose it, because that is also part of our job. Please don't be naive. The devil loves error and lies in God's church. If he can twist the Word of God to make it say what it didn't say, he loves that. Back in 2 Timothy, he talks about, in chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine Instead, to to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And that is true. That's our climate. There'll be some church somewhere teaching something that's very attractive, but it's not the Word of God. So yes, lovingly and gently with our Bibles open, we correct error. Why? Because people's souls are at risk. Personally, I'm really thankful for a pastor who did that to me 30 years ago. As a brand new Christian, I was so, 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 so undiscerning. I walked into a Christian bookshop, a bit like Kurong, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. All these amazing Christian books. But they're not all amazing. When you walk into Kurong, some of it is absolute rubbish and is teaching absolute heresy. And if you read that and believe that, it will lead you away from God. And you need pastors in your church who will help you say, no, this is what the Bible says. And God, no, 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 I'm sorry, but God never promised you that. And that's why you need your pastors to have people in their lives who will hold them accountable for their spiritual lives. What are they listening to? Are they reading the scriptures? So let me ask you a question. What, what do you want this church to be like? What, what do you want the British church to be like? full of undiscerning, immature, ungodly, anything-goes kind of Christians? If you want that, well, just appoint anybody to leadership. But I would hope that you would want a church which honors Jesus, that pursues godliness, that loves the truth, that lives the truth. And if you want that, then it's really, really important who you appoint to leadership across the board. So please pray for us. Pray for all of us in leadership. Pray for those who appoint leaders. Pray for people who are about to be leaders.